0: Welcome to God Pods, faith conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century
1: Center. Welcome to God Pods. I'm Elisa Taliano-Urenic, Associate Director for the Church in the 21st Century Center at Boston College. In this series, we are speaking with young Catholic innovators who are taking up the mission of revitalizing the church. These 20- and 30-something men and women have identified challenges that the church is facing and have devised creative, forward-thinking solutions that are bringing vitality and energy to the faith. At a time when many young people are questioning their commitment to institutional religion, these young folks are working hard to ensure that the church is stronger than ever for future generations. Our guest today is Molly Burhans. At 30 years old, Molly is one of the leading women innovators in the Catholic Church and in the environmental movement at large. She is the founder of an organization called Goodlands, which aims to help Catholic communities around the world use their property for good. Molly was recently named one of the United Nations Young Champions of the Earth. She was the only person selected from North America and the only winner to represent a religious organization. We're grateful to be speaking to her today. Welcome to God Pods, Molly.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Elise. Uh,
1: Would you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you studied, and how you became interested in sustainability?
0: Um, I'm originally from uh, Buffalo, New York. And while I was there, I studied philosophy with the Jesuits at Canisius College and I also studied ecological design at a small master's program in Western uh, Massachusetts called the Conway School. And I have always been passionate about nature. I grew up, you know, hiking in the woods and really just kind of in love with the natural world. And um, through kind of founding my first, co founding my first company, um, Grow Operative, which is an agriculture systems company, um, I got really into actually how design and designing with nature was a key part of sustainability.
1: That's great. Um, so what is Goodlands? What inspired you to start it? And just kind of give us an overview of what you're up to there.
0: So Goodlands is a nonprofit. We help people use land for good. Um, it's kind of born out of this fundamental realization that many of the issues that we confront today are uh, can help be addressed by managing our properties more thoughtfully and carefully. So we provide the information, tools, insights for Catholic communities to look at their entire uh, real estate portfolios holistically and optimize their use for environmental and social impact to address the most critical issues we're facing today from environmental destruction to migration. Um, I guess what inspired me to start it was, I was hanging out with these really amazing nuns in my early 20s. I was thinking about becoming a sister, and um, I would sometimes visit their convent on, like, breaks or weekends, if it was a long weekend, and I was so inspired by them. But every morning before, um, or I should say between, like, 6.30 a.m. prayer and until we went into the city to help out with services, um, I would take that time to hike through their grounds. And it was so peaceful, but I also saw so much opportunity for um sustainable management, like forest management, um, you know, addressing invasive or species or erosion that could have actually, some of which could have helped the community financially and could have helped the, the ecosystem. So that was really the inspiration. Um, it got much a much more global view when I started to do kind of mapping in, in graduate school. And I saw that there was this way to computationally approach massive amounts of properties at once and figure out how to, you know, bring these things like forest management or agriculture to the places where they're going to have the most impact.
1: I think it's really cool that um, in the process of discernment, which I know the Jesuits at Boston College would love, um, you kind of came to another inspiration of the Holy Spirit too, um, which is this organization. Um, you mentioned mapping, um, which is a huge part of Goodland's work, uh, mapping the church's uh, resources, property, personnel, et cetera. Um, I know I speak for myself. When I when I think of a map, I think of sort of the paper thing you pull out to orient yourself uh, or get to where you need to go. Um, what do your maps do and what kind of technology are you using to build them?
0: Okay. So we are using Geographic Information Systems Technology, or GIS, Um maps are no longer these static Cartesian planes. They're actually these massive databases. Um, you know, you can, if you list up kind of the visual side, it's really just, you know, a data structure and databases and, and information. Um, so what, and I should go back actually to say that pretty much anything that can have where. Like, where where do you like to buy ice cream? It can even not be totally quantitative. It can be qualitative. Where is my favorite place? That can be mapped. As well as statistics, like, there's 50 Catholic hospitals in this country. Um, so they've really revolutionized. And how we use them is there's a ton of information already out there um, generated by, like, the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, um, you know, NOAA, um, different conservation groups. And we can combine all that data to see a good example would be we mapped um, USCCB properties, um, so the collection of different types of properties, not just the ones owned by them specifically, but Catholic properties in it. And we um, worked with a team on analyzing their habitat connectivity. So that's how much they contribute to these kind of wildlife corridors. And that kind of information can help a community see where, you know, which properties of theirs could be making a critical contribution to the ecosystem. You can't really know that kind of information without maps. Um, Other things would be like, you can just layer in like soil types and you could see where you have prime agriculture soil, um, layer in even, you know, and run analyses to see uh, landslide potential. The possibilities are pretty much endless. And so maps are no longer just paper, even though those are maps too, there's these amazing tools that can do so much.
1: Do you have a sense, then, uh, or an estimate of how much land or property the church actually has? Um, And if so, uh, how would you rate um, the church's responsible use of that land at this point? Um, So the
0: United Nations Faith for Earth program estimates that 8% of the habitable surface of the earth is owned by faith-based organizations. So that's everyone beyond the Catholic Church, too. To give you an idea of how much land that is, that's 8% of habitable earth is larger than India and Sudan combined. Um, it's massive. The Catholic Church itself is kind of the most organized, so we can speak of it a little bit differently We'd say, Judaism, because we do have a hierarchical structure, even and we have, like, you know, canon law that does influence property, and larger property sales will go up to, you know, higher in, in leadership for approval. So that's when they the Catholic Church's land I mean all of these little moving pieces that um, kind of compose the body the exact land holding numbers are unknown at this point so any estimate you see out there I don't know where they're getting it because we have most of the data on it more than anybody else and we can't even give you we can give statistics and we can say you know if the church if every parish is on average one acre you know it's going to be that's already a quarter million acres globally um but we all know that there are monasteries and convents that are, you know, tens of thousands of acres. Um, and then there are, you know, other kind of parishes that are much smaller, you know, just a tiny parcel in the city. So it's really not known. We could probably make an estimate. Um, we probably should. (laughs)
1: Maybe you'll work towards it. Right. Um, so you're four years into the work at Goodlands. Um, what would you say overall your organization's priorities are and goals are, and have they changed from what you intended at the start?
0: Yes, they've changed pretty significantly in some ways.
1: Um, so our goals
0: have, there has been more of a influence on the mapping side than the property side for the last couple of years. Um, when I founded Goodland, I started calling dioceses and bishops around the country, and um, First, when I found a good lands I thought that Catholic conservation would be like a really big thing. I was like, of course, we're the largest non governmental network of healthcare and education, and we must be the largest <laughs> network of conservation. And I totally missed that. Even though I think we're only just kind of realizing with integral ecology how deep environmental care is to in its connection to um, all of our other missions, because it's a little bit less clearly spelled out, you know. Um, In the gospels but it definitely is there but so originally i thought that i'd be joining an organization doing this and i thought no one was doing it and so i went to go do it and i started calling these bishops and i said do you mind if i look at your land records and i started going to diocese and talking with them and that totally shifted because i thought that at least at the very least we'd be starting off with you know people with land records in order in databases (laughs) and many of them didn't even have an excel spreadsheet with all of their properties so that really shifted us from this mode of let's, you know, work with what's there to, oh, my gosh, we need to, like, digitize all of the property records of the Catholic Church and, like, every client we work with. I even, um, you know, from the start, I knew that a way to take all these programs we were writing would be to create a cl- classification system of dioceses around the world. And then when we work with one diocese on their property, um, we could scale that were much cheaper and more efficiently to a diocese of a similar, you know, that has similar data in it, similar landforms, ecology, um, demographics, et cetera. And I went looking for the diocese map, and that didn't even exist. So we made the first comprehensive global maps of the Catholic Church in history, I should say, global database maps. And that took a massive team to do. Like, I never thought that we would be starting with this little data, Um, What's really kind of shifted aside from becoming the, uh, you know, digitizers of much of the Catholic geographic information out there um, or making it, you know, making it geographic is um, also uh, realizing that we need a, a structure, like a system to share this information. Because while we were focused on the environment and you cannot do scientifically sound environmental programs without so obviously understanding your environment, which maps are used for, um, we didn't realize that, you know, we would be these data stewards. And that's a huge responsibility, um, especially because that data has the power to be transformative for Catholic health care, Catholic education, you know, Catholic aid. It's so valuable. So now we have kind of added in a goal of creating this data infrastructure and resource for the Catholic community so that our impact can be multiplied beyond just helping make life work for good, we can then take those fundamental records and help improve all other programs by giving the
1: right people access to them. That's fantastic. Um, I also saw that you added, um, there's a huge section in terms of your goals and work that you're building out, um, on your website, a section dedicated to Catholic parks. Could you speak a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So, um, we've kind of created a classification system for ranking which properties will be most suitable for parks now um, for kind of adaption to that, I should say. So one of the um, things is we can do this with data, but at the end of the day, you need to sit down and hear communities needs. Um, parks are, they fall into about six different categories. They could be anything from a community space and allotment to a Contemplative space. They could also be, you know, um, recreational areas, you know, a, a playground um, that's accessible or, you know, a more wilderness area that would only be possible on, you know, those much larger 10,000 acres, say, pr- monasteries or um, retreat center properties, et cetera. But um, so we've created this classification system and we can identify now which properties will fall into it. Um, the motivation for that is both spiritual, and um, and also concrete, um, even if spiritual is concrete, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word for it, temporal? <laughs> um, one of them is that, you know, green spaces, um, you know, so many studies, and it th- seems like a new one comes out every week now, show that access to green space is so influential to people's mental health and their physical health. And the Catholic parks are really just an extension of Catholic healthcare, if you want to say it that way, um, in some ways. And they're realizing that we have these spaces. And these spaces are opportunities for living our mission to do good, to improve humanity's, you know, well-being, but also spaces that are opportunities for evangelization. Um, you know, it's such a beautiful um experience to be in nature and contemplating God. And um, this kind of park system would offer that opportunity to connect both humans and, and God in and nature by creating um, oases. I think Pope Benedict said it earlier, I said, are not the oases of creation that sprang up, say, around Benedictine monasteries in the West, foreshadowings of the reconciliation of creation brought about by the children of God. I really think that envisioning this uh, international network of um, conservation and uh, spaces and kind of human use spaces that is managed by the church is a really just an inspirational idea. That initiative hasn't launched yet. We are launching that in about a year. So we're working on all the finances and getting the kind of legal stuff all shorn up for it and partners together.
1: That's great. I'm glad you brought up um, Pope Benedict XVI. I was going to ask, you know, he and Pope Francis seem to, um, be all over your marketing materials and your website, um, in that they emphasize that environmental ecology and sustainability is related to a lot of, um, issues in human ecology. So I think of, you know, um, a sustainable planet, um, will better support overcoming things like food insecurity or the refugee crisis. Um, what is, what is that relationship between the environment and human beings mean to you and why is it important for good lands?
0: Well, when we look at humans in the natural world rather than as separate, but, you know, brought together by this bond, an integral connection or in, integral ecology really kind of embraces that, that bond between the human world and the natural world and environmental and social justice. Um, you know, that's something that both Pope Francis and Pope Benedict have, um, you know, written about extensively and so well. Um, I think you're allowed to like by both popes. <laughs> Maybe not on Catholic Twitter, but in real life. <laughs>
1: um, I think you I think are too, Molly.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they're both awesome. Oops, excuse me. I think they're uh, they're both awesome. Um, so uh, Pope Francis, you know, the is just. I think it's one of the most important documents of the centuries, to be honest. And um, when I read it, it was just like my heart was singing the whole time. It's just this. It's so, and it gets into the integral ecology because, it, you know, it really dives into the, the human issues of sin, of, you know, um, greed, and of social ills that are influencing environmental ills. Um, so I think it's, and it's just, you know, he just dives into all these pieces of environmentalism, too, that you, you simply cannot fully manifest to see as a church without math actually, um, you know, if you want to talk about our carbon footprint, even measuring that and storing that information well, and, you know, making sure that we hit targets, you cannot do that without well-organized databases. Um, If you want to talk about habitat connectivity, which he just poetically waxes about in the document, um, like I said, we mapped that in the U.S. CCD and like, you cannot, you cannot understand how habitats connect to each other without understanding the landscape. So um, both of them, you know, um, just constant they just are constant inspirations and I think we're just so blessed as a world to have them alive at this time and as a church to have both of them with, you know, their bodies of work and influence. That's
1: wonderful. Um So speaking of kind of love of popes and uh, relationship to the Vatican, you've, um, you know, there've been a lot of recent conversations in light of kind of the most recent iteration of the sexual abuse crisis about the need to expand opportunities for women's leadership in the church. Um, You've been able to get several meetings with high ranking Vatican officials about your project. Um, Could you tell us what that was like and um, what that collaboration uh, continues to look like?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I um, I first went to the Vatican when I was 26 years old, and I somehow landed meetings with Cardinal Turkson, in the Secretary of State's office. It was when I was looking for that diocese data set, that I was like, oh gosh, we must have those. Um, so it was amazing. I talked to Cardinal Turks for like an hour, and he's just a phenomenal human. And um, then the Swiss Guard led me into the Apostolic Palace to the Third Logia which is where the Secretary of State's office is. And it is full of the most gorgeous maps I've ever seen. If you've ever been into the Galleria della Carta Geografici in the Bad Caneusians, and excuse my Italian, so I totally butchered that, um, the Apostolic Palace has like that times at least like five. <laughs> it's a cartographer's dream, um, but they haven't really had a map update since the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> so... I um, I was terrified. I thought I could – I was, like, worried that maybe I can be excommunicated for even asking this question. Like, I was 26. I was just confirmed not that long ago before that. So um, – and I sat down with these priests and I said, you know, do you guys mind if I do this? Here's my graphic prototype. I have the best team in the world or one of the best for doing authoritative boundaries. And they spoke in Italian for, like, five minutes. And I was like, oh, man, this is it. <laughs> and then they were like, yes, yeah, this will be useful for everything. So that, it's been um, really positive, you know, I went, um, have been there, gosh, I don't even know how many times I've been in meetings and symposiums and conferences and, um, you know, I've had a a pretty positive relationship, I would say, with leadership and I felt really like heard and respected for my work. You know, the challenge of um, Rome is that communications, you kind of have to go there in person and deliver letters and like, you know, I don't want to say get in people's faces a little, but you do, um, to actually move things. And I don't think that has anything to do with being a woman. Um, I think it just has to deal with communications and also the fact that like so many people in the Vatican I meet are just like constantly traveling, overworked almost, I would say, um, to the point of, you know, that's totally understandable, but, um, yeah, so that's been surprising. I think as a woman, you know, my biggest challenge that I've seen has actually been fundraising within the Catholic Church. Um, all of our support has come from, except for, um, I shouldn't say all of it, but right now all of our support is coming from secular institutions, despite the fact that we've made a tool that's absolutely essential for global Catholic operations. And I found that, um, that's a huge barrier that we see in our work is, is the financing. And I think it's, it's something that is a really big barrier for any woman founder, um, even outside of the church. My guess is it's even further compounded because this is such an obvious you know, benefit to the church, what we're doing um, and we've shown that we can do it. But um, it's, I think that isn't just either in secular fundraising and our work too, it's also with women, lay women who work in the church need to be supported um and i think it's really hard for them to you know often get the support so often you know i hear about a woman working in a diocese who can't afford to send her kids to Catholic school um i think we need a big a big shift with that and that shift includes shifting from like being slaves to actually being servant leaders um i'm really hopeful like there's still a huge amount of work that needs to get done for women in the church um I think probably the only reason why I've been listened to so much, I shouldn't, I should say this is totally speculative, but is because I have a bunch of like really powerful intelligence about the church and that kind of makes it necessary to listen to me um, in some ways. But I think for the average woman, her experience might be a little bit different. Um, And, you know, we know so many, uh, I think between both of us, amazing women, theologians, leaders, um, and they are being more recognized, but there's still, like, you know, a massive amount of improvement that needs to happen um, for acknowledging them and getting them, you know, with, alongside, uh, you know, men in the clergy um, as lay woman leadership, you know, getting them to be part of the conversation about operations of the church and theology and, you know, how it operates and grows and um, evangelization, etc.,
1: well, I think your positive experience, I'm sure our listeners will be moved by. Um, it's so great to hear. Um, I'm sorry to hear that fundraising for this is a, a challenge. You've noted that the church has kind of excelled and kind of dominated certain social sectors like healthcare, education for the poor, kind of charitable outreach. Um, how do we as a church get sustainability um and the preservation of the planet kind of up there how do we become the leader which is in this area which is one of goodland's aspirations i think
0: yeah well i guess the first thing is really obvious like it's just not going to happen without a geospatial infrastructure um supporting multiple efforts at once and reducing redundancy so that's i mean that's a really key part of all of this um you know, other than that, I I really just think it's the support. You know, I know Thomas and Sula from GCCM and Alan from Sineza and the St. Cattery folks like there's, um, and obviously Catholic Climate Covenant. And there's so many of us and we all have really important ideas and it's wonderful because we kind of fit together like puzzle pieces together. Like we do absolutely, pretty much no activism, but it's absolutely key and GCCM does a lot of that, especially in the divestment space and they do a great job, like, there's all this, but if you catch us on any day, we're all just like, you know, so, um, yeah. So I would say almost everyone I talk to is under-resourced <laughs> and under, so like I think that that's really the the only barrier um, that's most significant. The other is, um, you know, which is part of that and getting tools and resources out to communities is that priests and their homilies, you know, people, and church groups need to, you know, engage with this idea of ecological conversion, I think. And they need to, um, you know, talk about without the sea more. It's the season of creation. And then I've heard without See mentioned once during this entire season so far. Um, and it's, you know, at, at church. And it's, we need to get better with that. Um, so there's like this internal change that needs to happen. with people to realize how, you know, big the crisis is, but then there also are a bunch of groups out there already with the ideas and the connections to, that are made, and they just need to be, you know, better
1: supported. That's great. Um, outside of the Vatican, have there been dioceses, parishes, religious orders, or even secular groups that are showing interest in your work?
0: Yeah, so I had actually the head of sustainability for a coalition of 600 million evangelicals come to me and asked, you know, how can we work with you? And I was like, maybe we could franchise it. Look, I don't know. We're still figuring out how we can scale it to other other religious groups. Um, I don't want to take them under our wing just because I actually think having you know, if you had a geo database with information about the properties of all the different world religions, you'd probably be the most powerful person in the world. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> It'd also be very dangerous um, from a security standpoint. So that's why I want to figure out how to kind of like federate it and not be not be the have all that kind of information, um, in one place. But yeah, so the evangelicals have come to us. Um, we will, you know, we had architecture firms come to us actually. Um, you know, I think we could expand to the kind of private, there is a private market for this and there are a lot of GIS firms out there. Um, what we do at the church is unique because we already have so much data And so that makes it, that's what, like, kind of makes us stand out in that space and also our approach to property. There really aren't any people I know of that are doing this for large landholders. So, like, in the future, I'd love to, you know, expand what we do to, like, telecommunications companies, uh, any group that, like, has a lot of land. One of the things that struck me is that if you step outside the activism and education space when it comes to the Catholic Church, we have to realize that Catholic, you know, it's not a... I hate to use the word, but it's not a market unless you're, like, selling rosaries and prayer cards. Like, Catholic healthcare serves everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. Catholic healthcare serves everyone, and it serves everyone with most of the time, high-quality healthcare. Um, And Catholic environmental programs that are about on-the-ground action and implementation, you know, that have the kind of a model of providing something that's unique. It's not something that like nature conservancy can provide. And that is us because there's a totally different business model than there is, but an operations model, but like there's, um, that has to be scalable. Like Catholic can, cannot be the only quote market for that. It has to be something that can benefit anyone that comes to us. And for us, it's just anyone that owns like a ton of land
1: that's helpful explanation. Um, the final question I have is, what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs or innovators who, um, Catholic or not, want to have an impact for good, um, especially in some of these sort of big social areas and enterprises?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first thing is discernment. Um, shout out to the Jesuits. <laughs> like, I never... I never like was looking to make a big impact um, or really change the world. Um, that just has never been, you know, I just kind of want to do whatever God wants me to do. And I know that like that will make me the happiest. Um, if you are called to like start something new and you have done the research to make sure there isn't someone out there doing it already, um, you know, I <laughs> there's like a gif out there that I've seen on the internet of like these two guys on a roller coaster that look like, Oh my gosh, that's kind of what you're in for. Um, (laughs) If you say, yeah, (laughs) Um, it's it's absolutely like awesome and crazy and, you know, starting something new, it's, it's, it's so creative. Like I, I have backgrounds in art and science and like entrepreneurship is, perhaps the most creative thing i've ever done and it's overwhelming there's legal there's you know hr there's g- grant writing there's networking there's uh you know and then there's the technical side and it's it's just amazing the learning experience is invaluable you can't really be afraid of failure um because you're going to mess up multiple times along the way i guarantee it. it's really really humbling um much more humbling than I expected um to just be learning so much and like yeah I would I would say for especially women um who are interested in it to just like you know don't if you're when you're discerning make sure you listen to that like you know the good spirit like listen to what gives you consolation and if you start to think oh I could never do that or that couldn't be me or, you know, I, I, I just am not, you know, I'm not good enough. If that is coming, you know, that's coming from a bad place, then like shut it down.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's really inspiring and definitely sounds not just like, um, like you said, a job, but definitely a vocation. Um, and I know that we're grateful that you've responded to that uh, movement of the good spirit. Um, Molly, where can people go to learn more about your work and Goodlands as a whole?
0: Okay. So people can go to good hyphen land. So that's G O O D hyphen is Nancy Diaz and dog dot org, um, to learn about our work. And on Sunday at the social goods summit, I will be speaking alongside Greta, which I'm so excited about. And we will be launching, um, So by the time this goes out, this will have already happened. Uh, Sunday, the 22nd, we will be launching our uh, about 50 maps, I think, and a hub of Catholic information to help people see the global church from the view I get to look at at my desk every day.
1: Well, that's great. Well, we wish you the best of luck um, with all of the United Nations work and your upcoming, I'm sure, awards uh, and opportunities. And we'll be following along here at Boston College. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on today, Molly. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.